before I go on, I just want to tell you a story that I heard. I bet this is this one. I bet is a true story. But I heard a story about something that happened in heaven. That the, that one day, on the same day, a pastor and a taxi cab driver, they both died, and they both came up to heaven. And Jesus went to the cat taxi cab driver, and he said, "You're gonna you're gonna live in this big." giant mansion right next to where I live. You live next door to me. And then he told the pastor, and there's your house. You see that little house all the way down the block? That's for you. Well, the pastor got upset. He said, this guy's just a taxi cab driver, and he has this big giant mansion next to the throne room, and I was a pastor, and I preached the word, and you give me a little house all the way down the road. That doesn't make sense. Jesus said, of course it makes sense. You were a pastor. When you preached, people went to sleep. But he was a taxi cab driver. When he drove, people prayed. <laughs> True story, Pastor George. Well, I'm going to be continuing in Pastor George's series of, about following Peter. But I'm going, to, I'm going to start in the Old Testament and work my way up. So I'm going to be starting with the scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 11. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 11. It says, as an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings, so the Lord alone led him, and there was no foreign God with him. It's speaking about Israel, and it's speaking about how God works. God was comparing Israel to an eagle. So what is, but what does that mean, that God stirs up the nest? See, the eagle builds a nest for the young to live in temporarily. But then at a certain point, the eagle stirs up the nest. Well, I looked it up, so I'm going to give you a short science lesson, and I can't figure it out myself, so I'm going to read it. It says, when a mother eagle builds her nest, she starts with thorns, broken branches, sharp rocks, and a number of other items that seem entirely unsuitable for the project. But then she lines the nest with a thick padding of wool, feathers, and fur from animals she has killed, making it soft and comfortable for the eggs. By the time the growing birds reach flying age, the comfort of the nest and the luxury of free meals make them quite reluctant to leave. That's when the mother eagle begins stirring up the nest. With her strong talon, she begins pulling up the thick carpet of fur and feathers, bringing the sharp rocks and branches to the surface. As more of the bedding gets plucked up, 
the nest becomes more uncomfortable for the young eagles. Eventually, this and other urgings prompt the growing eagles to leave their once comfortable abode and move on to more mature behavior. See, the eagle builds a nest and makes it comfortable for the young eaglets, and every need is provided, and it's a safe place. That's why outside of the nest, it puts sharp rocks and anything sharp that the eagle can find to keep the little eaglet safe from predators. But at a certain point, you see, you can't be a baby eaglet forever. The eagle begins to stir up the nest and begins all the sharp rocks, all the glass on the outside starts to point inward and the eagle begins to make it uncomfortable for the little eaglets to stay in the nest because eagles weren't born to sit around and be comfortable. Eagles were born to soar and to fly. So at a certain point, it's time for the little eagles to grow up, to be who God created them to be. So I'm going to take this now to the New Testament, where Pastor George has been talking about Jesus' relationships to the disciples. And in a sense, Jesus built a safe nest for them. Jesus, he hung around with them. He did everything with them. It was a safe place for them to learn and grow and to step out and even fail. But eventually he began to give them assignments to go out and preach and heal and deliver. Eventually it was their time to begin to shine. And that's even one of the roles of the church is to provide a nest for new believers, to, to provide a safe and comfortable environment for you to grow, to walk through, we walk through you in your Christian journey. When you fall short, there's always someone around you to pick you up. And we have, for a commercial again, we have the discipleship class this coming Wednesday where you want to know more about the Word, you want to grow, where you can be here at 7 p.m. But even in the church, the time comes when God starts to stir up the nest, and you need to begin to, to learn to fly on your own. You see, there comes a point in every single Christian's life where you need to stand on your own relationship with the Lord. You shouldn't always need someone to hold your hand, to affirm you, to tell you how great you're doing, to walk you through every decision, to keep you from losing your faith. Every time something gets tough, you, some of you, you need someone, oh, don't worry, and we'll come running after you. And you're saying, that's it, I prayed for three weeks, God didn't answer my prayer, I'm out of here. This God stuff, and you're always like a little baby eaglet, 
You always need someone to always pick you up again, to lift you back up again. You see, if you're not willing to be stretched, take risks, and stop worrying what people will think, you will never see your purpose and destiny fulfilled. See, there comes a time in your Christian wars where it's not okay just to always be fed, always be spiritually taken care of, always being led around by the hand. Like the young eaglets. See, eagles don't fly by flapping their wings. They go out in faith. They catch the wind. They, take, they have faith that when they jump out, that the wind is going to carry them. And it's the same thing with the Christian walk. You've got to take leaps of faith. God wants to stretch you beyond what, what you're comfortable with, beyond the familiar. You don't always want to be in the nest and have people always having to baby you and telling you, oh, don't worry, it's going to be okay. You see, we always need people around to encourage us. I need encouragement all the time. But I would never get anywhere if I always had a call, Pastor Joe. Oh, did I do a good job, Pastor Joe? You didn't even tell me if I did a good job. Forget it. I'm not preaching here anymore. This is the stuff we deal with, baby stuff. Paul said, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I acted like a child, but now I'm a man, now I'm mature, now I'm flying like the eagles. You see, whether it's in church, whether it's in your life outside the church, you can get comfortable living below your potential. I want to read a quote from T.D. Jakes. He said, don't be content to die in your history rather than to live in your destiny. See, it's easy to become comfortable in, in an environment that's familiar. Even if you're dissatisfied, you're unhappy, you're unfulfilled, discontent, whether it's a job, a career, relationship, Oh, I'm living in this apartment. I hate it. Yeah, but you've been there 10 years and you keep complaining. <laughs> oh, but this guy that I'm with, he's a bum. He, he, he treats me bad. And years and years go by and you're still in that same relationship. It's time to be stretched. It's time to take a risk. Like You are an eagle. You're not a chicken. Hey, that's a good one for Facebook, right? Put that, put that up there. You're not called to be pecking around on the ground, all bent over. You're called to the high places. Eagles are mighty warriors. Eagles are bold. Eagles are fierce. And that's who you are. See, the eagle lives in the high places. And you know what God will do? He'll stir up your nest to make you discontent and uncomfortable to stay in the condition that you're in. Did you know that? It's not always the devil making you unhappy. 
Sometimes God, when he sees you stuck, you're in a miserable place, a bad job, a wrong relationship where you're miserable, God will stir up things. All the glass on the outside of the nest, all those nails and the sharp rocks, he'll point it inward. Because sometimes that's the only way he'll get you to move. So now I'm going to go back to the life of Peter now that I set the stage. So I'm, I'm going to recap. Because Pastor George has been preaching about Peter the last few weeks. So I'm going to do a little recap. Now remember Peter. He's the disciple who messed up more than he got it right. He did a couple good things. He stepped out of the boat. He took a step of faith. Then he looked around. He saw the wind and the rain, boom, right under the water. He cut off a soldier's ear that Jesus had to reattach. He lacked the boldness to stand up for his convictions when it really mattered. He was a real mess up. He always wanted to do good, but he always seemed to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. But what changed him? What turned, now we talk about Peter, what happened to Peter that now he's so revered in Christian history that we so look up to him? How, how did he go from a mess into an eagle? Well, that's what I want to speak about. And the, the first, so I'm going to talk about two things that Peter had to go through to go from an eaglet into the eagle that God called him to be. The first one is what Pastor George mentioned last week. It's the grace and mercy of God. You can't change your life if you've never encountered God's love. You can know every word of the Bible. I've met many people. They go around quoting scripture. They go to church 20 times more a week than I do but they're lacking the one thing. They've never had a true encounter with the love of God, so they walk around in bitterness and angry. See, what is grace? There's a difference between grace and mercy. Grace is when you receive what you don't deserve. Love, forgiveness, restoration, it's a free gift that God gives. God gave Peter the free gift. Peter didn't deserve to be forgiven. Would you forgive someone that when everyone's trying to kill you, say you're walking down, down the block down there, and all of a sudden you get attacked by a whole gang, and your best friend is standing there, and, and, and when they come up to him and say, are you with him? No, not me. Me? I don't even know that bum. Would you forgive such a person? You'd never talk to them again, let's face it. The guy that abandoned you. The worst day of your life, at the worst possible moment, when they promised they'd always be there, when they said, even if everyone else abandons you, you can count on me. And when the rubber hit the road, he abandoned Jesus. And that's what grace is. 
Jesus gave him the love and the restoration and the favor. He didn't deserve it. You got to have, and each one of you need to have that encounter with the grace of God. It doesn't matter how you feel about yourself. If you feel you're nothing, you're worthless, none of that matters. The grace of God, it's such a powerful love that goes beyond anything you've ever done. It's a free gift. The love of God is free. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. And the mercy of God is when you don't receive what you do deserve. See, Peter deserved to be punished. He needed to be disqualified from ministry. Like some of the ministers you hear about today, they fall into sin, and the next thing you know, everyone's, all the Christians are mocking them, laughing. Oh, he'll never be a pastor again. Oh, he disgraced us. He, he deserves to be cast off. But, but mercy, the mercy of God says no. He doesn't treat you according to how you deserve to be treated. In all your mess, in all your failure, he still loves you. You are not disqualified. Your, your failure, your mess does not disqualify you from your destiny. Jesus still loved Peter through his failures. And that was the first thing that Peter encountered that would change him. And every one of you, you need to encounter God's love. Don't leave here today thinking that you're unlovable, you're nothing, your life has been a failure from day one. That's not how God sees you. That's not who you are. So I'm going to move on to the second thing that Peter encountered that transformed him. See, something very important happened before Jesus ascended to heaven. Pastor George said last week that after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared several times to, to the, the, Peter and the disciples. Well, I'm going to read Acts chapter 1, verse 14. This is one of those times when Jesus met up with his disciples. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a land... In a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Skipping down to verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. What is it saying? Before Jesus would go up to heaven to be with the Father, he gave the disciples a commission. You will be my witnesses, even to the ends of the earth. You will preach the gospel in my name. 
That makes no sense to me. Be my witnesses. These guys were a bunch of cowards and wimps. They got pushed out of the nest and they all ran away in fear. Peter was cursing, denying. Who's going to trust these guys? Would you trust them even to go to get you a sandwich? I, I wouldn't trust people like that. In ministry, I run from people like that. They, 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 you trust them, they keep messing up. Why would Jesus trust them? Because here's the secret. He said, don't go anywhere. You go to Jerusalem. You stay in the upper room and you wait until the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. See, they were about to have an experience that would change them forever. See, back in John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it's better for you that I go away. If I do not go, the helper will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. Now, I spent years trying to figure that out. How could it be better if Jesus goes away and leaves me here? But yet, Jesus said, it's better for you if I go away. You see, at first, the disciples, they needed Jesus to always encourage them, always lead them through the process, to pick them up when they failed, to help provide for them. They needed they nothing to eat. Jesus said, give me a fish. He, he, he thanked God, and it became thousands of fish. Here's your lunch. But the time came when it was time for the disciples to become, to themselves do the miracles, themselves walk in the power of God, for themselves to preach the gospel and not always say, Jesus, I'm hungry. Jesus, give me a fish. No, now it's time for them to multiply their own fish. Yes, the Bible does say that we need to bear each other's burdens in Galatians 6.2, which means if I'm carrying a burden too heavy, then sometimes I need the body of Christ to help me lift it. I, I can't live the Christian life all by myself. I get into situations where I need people. But you go down three verses later, and it says, each one shall bear his own load. Or in the Message Bible, each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. It came time to the disciples to step into their own destiny. They didn't need someone anymore to lead them around and do all the work for them and feed them and show them how it's done and cover their mistakes. It was time for them to leave the nest. And it's true for every one of you. You've got the same Holy Spirit in you. So now we're going to come down to the big moment. Acts chapter 2, it was the day of Pentecost, which was the Jewish holiday. And it says on that day, they were all gathered in one place. And on, 
when the day of Pentecost came, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. All of a sudden, they were sitting and praying, and the power of the Holy Spirit, a mighty rushing wind came into the room, and they all started to speak in other languages. And now it was showtime for Peter. He had been made ready. Now it was put up or shut up. He got it all. He got the love. He got the grace. He knew the word. Now what was he going to do? Was he going to run away again? There were thousands of non-believers there listening. And not only were they listening, they were mocking Peter again. They said, you must be drunk. These people are acting all crazy. You know, that could happen when you get all in the Holy Spirit. You know, there's no high like the most high. And there was Peter facing the same people who had crucified Jesus and were willing to kill him. Now, was Peter going to stand up? Was he going to do what God called him to do? Or was he going to go back to the nest, go back fishing again like he did the last time? That's what it was comfortable for him. That's what he knew. That's what people do very often. They want to stay in what's comfortable and familiar. Or was Peter filled with the power of the Holy Spirit? This was his day. This was his time. And in Acts 2.38, it says, Peter, he stood up in front of them and he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And 3,000 people that day were added to the church. What changed Peter? It was the power of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. See, the word Pentecostal has gotten a bad name. I'm proud to say I'm a Pentecostal. It has nothing to do with how long your hair is or if you got hairy legs or how much makeup you wear. It's not the word Pentecostal. not about hypocrites and a bunch of rules. Pentecostal is about power. It's about the power of God, the fullness of the Spirit living in every one of you. And every single one of you can do just what Peter did. When, the challenge, when it's time for the challenge, when it's time to stand up, when it's time to step out, when it's showtime, when it's time for you to make the decision, I'm going to go back to college. Oh, I'm going to start the business. I'm going to do the ministry God called me to do. I'm going to preach the gospel, whatever it is for you. The power of God lives in you. I'm going to give you a fancy word. It's the anointing. How many of you know that word, the anointing? What is the anointing? It's, a, 
It's, it's, it's the power of God living in you, giving you the supernatural ability to do whatever's in front of you. You, have the, you could stand and break off that bad relationship by the power of the Holy Ghost. You can apply for that better job because you got the fullness of the Spirit living in you. Look at this in Acts 5, 27. It says that all the apostles, they were brought before all the religious leaders and the high priests. And, and the high priest, he gave them orders. He said, Peter, I never want you to preach again in the name of Jesus. You better stop or you're going to be thrown in jail. You're going to be whipped and beaten. But you know what Peter said? He said, I don't obey man. I obey God. The same guy that ran and cursed and denied Jesus. He said, you could throw me in jail. You can take my life. But I stand by the power and the love of God. And I will not be moved out of the position that God has placed me in. And that's true for every single one here. I don't care if you just received Jesus a week ago. You got the same Holy Spirit I got. The Bible says that every one of you has the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. We've been talking about the resurrection. But you got Holy Ghost resurrection power flowing through you. Now, you might be thinking, oh, that was good for 2,000 years ago. But you don't know what it's like today. Not in these times. God can't change people like that. Well, I want you to hear right now from a modern-day Peter. So I'm going to ask Molly is going to come. I want you to hear this story. That God is still alive right here in the Bronx. Good afternoon, family. So I'm going to make this really quick. The Lord, um, I, I accepted Jesus as my Savior 22, 23 years ago. He, I, I, I ran the streets. I used to live in Watson, and he delivered me from a, a gangster life. I used to sell drugs, take drugs, transport drugs, beat people down, steal, rob, steal cars, break into apartments, break into stores. And one night... Um, I got into an altercation with two cops and got arrested, went through the system. And that night, I remember the, the God of my grandmother. And I called out to him. And I said, man, is there any hope for somebody hopeless like me? And right there, he was like, boys, we got her. Send them in. And so they put me through this um, program uh, with the district attorney that I had to go every week to see them and do some uh, community service. But thank God it wasn't in the streets picking up garbage because I was like, I ain't doing that. So, but God was gracious. So I ended up going to these classes that was part of it. I had like nine months left so I could get my record sealed. And so in the process of that, there was three classes that I needed to, that I applied for. Because I figured, oh, I got three more weeks. I'll just, you know, quit afterwards. The first two didn't take me. But then the third one did. And when I went there, it was a setup of God because there was nothing there but an army of Christian women. So these women started ministering to me. And one day I'm walking by and, you know, they're slapping high five over the Bible. And I'm looking at them like, these women must have had a little too much something. You know what I'm saying? So I was like, I don't know what they are, but whatever they got, I want some of it too, right? So I go and sit next to them. 
And they look at each other and they go, do you know that Jesus loves you? And I was just like, nah, you know, don't, he can't love me. Like, you know, I've done A, B, C. I started bringing out my resume, like <laughs> all the bad things I've done. There's no way God could love me. And another one turned around and said, do you know that Jesus loves you? And I was like, nah, chill, you know, you're you pissing me off right now. Could you stop saying that, you know? So then the third woman says, do you know that Jesus loves you? And it was getting to me. My eyes was getting watery because I felt unloved, unwanted. I had, you know, I was abandoned when I was young. And, you know, I was just shipped from one family member's house to the other. So I just thought that I was unlovable. So I was like, <laughs> so I was like, listen, if you don't stop saying that, I'm going to pop you in your mouth. And she turned around and she says, I want you to know that you may have felt despised and unloved, but when Jesus was on that cross 2,000 years ago, he said, this I'm doing for my child, Molly, who is despised and unloved, but I love her so much that I'm laying down my life for hers. Well, I got up, walked out with tears in my eyes and bawled. I remember bawling outside and I remember receiving the love of God and, and thinking if nobody else loves me, that's all right. As long as Jesus loves me, that's enough for me. So a week later, I gave my heart to the Lord, right? Happily ever after? Not. Here goes a Peter moment. <laughs> Six years later, after serving the Lord, loving on him, loving his people, being in ministry, I backslid. That means I left the church. I stopped serving him and went back into the world to pursue a relationship with a woman. And in that relationship, I put up with more than I ever put up from any man I took from a woman. And I was broken. I kept thinking, this is what I left the love of God for? This is what I gave in? This was not worth it. Needless to say, it didn't last long, but I was still out there lost for two years. And the Lord was, his love was chasing me. But the enemy made it seem like he was tormenting me. And so instead of me thinking that the Lord's love was chasing me to bring me back, I felt like, I know I'm going to hell. I know I'm going to die to hell. I know there's no way for me to come back. Why don't you just leave me alone? Why don't you just leave me alone? See, because it was my choice to leave him. He never left me. Well, his presence did depart from me. But he was still there. And so because that was my choice, and I knew better, I was prepared to accept the consequences of going to hell. And so I didn't go to the Father for healing. I didn't go to the Father to come back home. But the Father was coming to me. You understand? Because I knew better. But, but God, oh, but God. That's all I can say is, but God. He just brought me back again, rescued me a second time. He, he, he just loved on me. He filled me again with his presence. And then this time around, he has used me mightily than he did the first time. And I have to give him the glory. He has used me to win souls. He has used me to minister to young people. He is using me to pray for people, to love on people, to heal the brokenhearted, to go out there and get the lost. He has done it. He's even anointed my voice to sing with this amazing worship team. I have to say, he's a, he did it. Listen, he did it because you, you would have heard me a few years ago. I sounded like, you know, from the quacker. Don't raise your hand. That's not right, girl. <laughs> She's being a witness. Um, but he's just, it's just like there's, you can't go too far where God's hand, you know, I, I'm so grateful that that scripture says, thank you, Lord, that your, your arms ain't too short to save. 
and he did it. And so because of the work that he's done, that I messed up, I failed, I was prepared to accept the consequences. See, I didn't fall from grace. I fell into grace. And his grace restored me. His mercy brought me back. He didn't need to extend that mercy. And then he, pulled, he, he sends me back out into the world to be a blessing, to give him glory, to shine. See, because of what the Lord has done, today I can stand before you, a woman of the Most High God. I'm saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled, fire baptized, and I got Jesus on the inside, and I'm running for my life. Thank you. You see, there are hypocritical, finger-pointing Christians who would have heard that story. People who don't have the heart of God and say, you shouldn't be up here singing with the worship team. You shouldn't be with the youth. But God is not like a man. God's ways are higher than our ways. Molly is fully qualified because she has been washed by the blood. She has encountered the love of God and a holy God. The presence of the Holy Spirit abides and lives within her. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come. You see, I don't deserve to be standing here either. When I was young, I was in jail many times. I, I was divorced. I wasted my money. I could go through a whole list of things in my life that would totally disqualify me. But I have to thank God right now that he hasn't treated me the way that I deserve. I deserve to be headed straight for hell. I, I shouldn't be standing here. There's nothing in me that, that qualifies me to stand here except for the blood of Jesus, except for his love, except that he poured out his spirit. So I'm going to ask everyone to stand right now. And we're going to worship. We're going to close in worship. But I believe that there's some of you today that God is calling you out of the nest. You're ready to step out into the ministry God's called you to. You're ready to go back to school. You're ready to start the business. You're ready to get rid of those ungodly friends that keep dragging you backwards, but you don't have the boldness to break it off. Some of you, it's time to begin to move into the apartment or the house that God's shown you. The same Holy Spirit that will cause you to pray for the sick and to sing and to and to preach is the same Holy Spirit that you that helps you to be a mother, to be a worker, to be a business person, a student, a designer, a teacher, whatever it is. You see, I'm, I made a new decision that I'm willing to give it all to step out. So I believe that there's a few more here. So if that's you, can you just come and join me as we close in worship? Sometimes you've got to take a step. 
Sometimes you can't just stand there comfortable. Sometimes you physically got to move yourself and say, God, here I am. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to soar. If that's you, I'm going to just invite you to just come and stand with me as we close. Some of you know you've been called to be right up here and, and you've held back. Some of you have been called to be on the worship team. But you want to stay in the nice, comfortable nest. It's time to go. It's time to soar. It's time to be everything God called you to be. Some of you have an anointing. The Bible talks about the power to create wealth. Some of you have it. Some of you, you've got big dreams and visions. God's given you for finances, for business, and you just keep holding back and holding back. Come on. It's time to step out. It's time to go. It's time to get out of the nest. You, you weren't made to be comfortable. You, you were made for greatness, for glory. So I'm going to ask for those on the prayer team, if you could just come. We're not doing inner healing right now. I just want, we're releasing the anointing. So those of you on the prayer team, I just want you to go to each one and just agree. Since their showtime. Come on, prayer team. Just want you to go to each one and, and just release the anointing of God. We're coming into agreement with what God's already done in your life. Now let's begin to worship Him. <laughs> 